Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the French Review Boxes with me, Tim Graves, ex-Scotland back row, Johnny Beatty, and former France hooker, Benjamin Kayser. The Six Nations is very nearly upon us, so we're going to be building up to that and discussing both of your experiences in the tournament as well as France's chances this year. But how's the past week been for you guys? Still locked down, climbing the walls, what's going on? Yeah, still complete lockdown, but um, not nothing particular to to report other than um, balancing homeschooling and studying and stuff is still a bit of a, a proper a proper jigsaw. But but we'll get there. And I have to say, listen, I think all all the politicians of the world at the moment are absolute horseshit. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> but the UK is doing one thing fantastically well is vaccination. And I just want those numbers to get cracking, get going. And I wasn't even a fan of getting vaccinated, but I think I will do it as soon as I can just to get those numbers up where we can finally live again. Pump it in, mate. We, oh, geez, where are we heading? I think we're about to head into a proper lockdown in France again. So it's going to be the February break holiday. It's going to be two weeks. I think it's going to be a six-week holiday block. Other than that, it's been 130 mile an hour winds in southwest France. I was meant to be up in Paris commentating at the weekend. Everything was cancelled. Trains, planes, automobiles. So nice another weekend break at home where I love being. <laughs> um, but no, it's been it's been really chilled. Also caught up with um, a couple of the Beeritz boys that weekend. Steph Armitage was giving me some more details on Morad after our chat about um, Jamie Noon last week and Johnny Wilkinson being the only boy that's actually been paid by that club. He's saying, I think there's between 25 and 30. They're actually taking Morad to court and trying to get their money back. So good luck to them. More on that to come in future episodes, maybe. But let's get cracking then. We'll talk about this year's tournament shortly, but we haven't spoken about your past in the Six Nations. So you must have some special memories as players. But going back even further than that, what are your first Six Nations or Five Nations memories? And what got you guys into the tournament? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question, actually. Uh, so the past, so I don't know if I ever mentioned this, but actually my family is, is, is not a rugby family at all. Uh, so I did every single possible sport that there was. And I only started rugby when I was 14. So I technically started for six months in Hong Kong when I was 11, rugby sevens. But it was almost like a, it was our PE teacher, you know, would take us to rugby. So it was just fun. Did a lot of basketball, obviously stopped growing. So I'm, I'm missing about 
a meter. <laughs> Otherwise, I would, have been, I would have been amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you. Um, but uh, so, so yeah, I did a lot of basketball, tennis, whatever, you, you name it. And then got back to rugby at 14, 15. But it was always my thing because um, my family is not a rugby family. Um, I didn't originally, you know, in France, you can almost start rugby when you're six, I think, or maybe something like that. And um, so that, that wasn't me. But I realized that it was actually my, my, my dad and my granddad's sort of favorite sport when they were young. And so I had two tapes in, in my old oh, tapes. It's pretty unreal. That, that, that's how old we are. But I had, a, I had a big TV when I was 14 to 15 that I stole from my granddad. I put it, I sneaked it in my room and I had, you know, a tape player and two tapes. That's, that's all I had. Obviously when I was, you know, 16, 17, 18, maybe you had some sneaky other tapes. If you know what I, I won't mean. go there, but, mate. Uh, but, 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 but my only first two tapes were, um, the 1997 Grand Slam, which is the last game at Arms Park in Cardiff, where they win, I think they put 57 points on them. 57-0, I think it is, or 47-0. So it was the Stéphane Gla, Olivier Magne, uh, Rafael Ibanez is captain, uh, Franck Tourner, Tighted, Califano, I'm pretty sure, Cédric Soulet, you know, all that old generation of dudes, the Benazi, uh, Caban still plays, uh, Le Flamand, I don't know who else there is. The 10 must be Titou La Maison, probably. Um, you know, Lacroix, all, all that generation. And they, they were incredible. Well, basically the, the post-World Cup 1995 guys. But it was the, the start of the Rafael Ibanez, Fabien Pelous, Olivier Mind, that era. And, and so that was one of my number one tape. And I have to say that's my earliest memory of the Six Nations, which was the Five Nations at the time. And I watched it about a thousand times, I think. Incredible game. Uh, incre I have to say that, that rugby, when it was played well, phew, was it good. It was so much space. It was so lively. Um, it was extraordinary. There was always some fat fella who would run over a little one. And then there was one little one that would, you know, go around everyone. I mean, they did rucks like, like you've never heard before, you know, where they would carry the ball and actually put the balls through their legs and almost keep on walking. And the, walk, and the ball was already out. It was a, almost a standing ruck. Like things, you know, attitudes that you would never see again. So many bounce passes, bounce pickup, go again. Hardly any kicking in terms of, kicking territory it was more kick it up when you don't know what to do just, just kick the shit out of it up and uh yeah some funny characters scott gibbs you know playing center for yes. wales that little cannonball Let's of try against england yeah the the, the cornell brothers and stuff so all those particularities that we absolutely adored uh, and 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 and, and, they, and the sun was shining and it was a beautiful day so that's that's my earliest memory what about you johnny Mate, mine would have been so i i came from a proper rugby family so my, my dad played for scotland in the 80s and so it was just always on TV. Um, my my papa also, my mum's side, he played for Gala, which is a big border rugby club um, in Scotland. And all my cousins played rugby. So absolutely fascinated from a really, really young age. My earliest memories of Six Nations would probably be, so like as a school, we used to bust through and watch Six Nations games. Um, so we'd go through and like, obviously no parents were there. would be a couple supervising who were drunk down the front of the bus looking after 50 kids. Um, and just amazing days, like being, I don't know, it must've been seven, eight, nine years old on a bus with all my mates going through to Murrayfield. And just the excitement of it, the buzz, the stadium, the atmosphere, we maybe got to do it once or twice a year if we were lucky and just a huge event. And then in times that I didn't go with my, my schoolmates, I'd go with my family. So grandparents would take us. And back in the day at Murrayfield for the Five Nations, you could drive through and you could tailgate almost like you know, in South Africa or like in American sports, everyone tailgates and they have barbecues. That was what you could do before in the days at Murrayfield. The back pitches was just a massive car park. So everyone would drive through early, bacon and egg sandwiches on the back pitches with my parents, um, with my grandparents. And just great days, like great family place to be, 
tremendous environment. Um, and then, like you said, the players that you saw on TV. So I had the same, not the same cassette, but slightly different. I had the Six Nations best tries on cassette, which must have nearly been burnt out. It was used so much. Um, but again, just great players. I remember like mine growing up where like Gavin Hastings, David Soul, Will Carling in England. Strange to remember English players, but stuck with me forever. And then the French boys that I loved watching. So Olivier Magne, Emile Entomac, Thomas Castagnette, Benazzi. Um, I don't know, just what got me or grasped me or grabbed me into the game at a really young age was that type of tournament. It was the absolute pinnacle. Um, the best rugby that you could watch on TV at the time by a country mile and just fun. Like going through to the stadium, watching the game was just great. Looking back with nostalgia now, it makes me want to go back. But um, obviously we're then really lucky to get to be part of it. But I think at that age when you're young um, and you idolize all these guys as well, just a really, really cool tournament. Absolutely love it. You can hear from both of your recollections how how special the tournament is. When you are a player and you realize you're getting close and then you get picked for the first time, what's that like? Oh shit! Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess for you, Johnny, if you if your old man played for Scotland, it must have been particularly heavy and not heavy, no, sorry, particularly no, important I, and and. But I, no, not really. In that I wasn't um, when he played for Scotland. I was I was too young to remember him. You know I mean, I can't I can't picture him on a TV or yeah. Um, I don't remember any of that. It's just as like, oh, dad played for Scotland, but I I can't remember seeing or watching him in a Scottish jersey. I don't have any of those memories. And I was too young for it to have made that kind of impact from a family um, perspective. Um, but there was obviously memorabilia around the house. I was aware that he had done something in the past, just that I, I wasn't quite there to appreciate it. He kept reminding you. Yeah, it's everywhere. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but that made it almost even more special for me in that I actually grew up with idolizing all these different players that I saw around club rugby in Scotland but sort of knowing that somewhere in the background this guy who was my dad had done it as well which was really weird so no it wasn't heavy at all it was an absolute pleasure and that's it once you've seen and you know how big it is to then get asked to be part of it and my first game was against France in the Stade de France in the Six Nations um, I think I was 20 21 so again I was almost too young to kind of the impact didn't really I couldn't really grasp at the time, although I was excited, the gravity of the tournament and the size and the spectacle hadn't quite hit me. So like really weird things looking back, but the players that I played against, all guys that I sort of idolized on those tapes and be watching like Poitrano, Claire, Amons, Josian, Ibanez Nali, Tion, Betsen, Bonaire, Haranordiki was the, the team that I made my debut against. They went on to win the Grand Slam and just a huge team. And I just felt so lucky age 20 to be part of it. It was ridiculous. Um, and then almost like the stupid things. I remember Eden Park, Benji, like gave us pajamas to wear. They gave out pajamas to all the, to the different. I was like, what? This is special. Proper big time. Now they're giving you pajamas. Like it's another level. But these weird things that you remember being in Paris for the first time as a rugby player, the buzz around Paris, the buzz around stadiums before the game, just magical. My first actually experience of, um, so I got first picked in 2008. Uh, as a summer tour, as you do in France, without the semi and the final, so the four best teams in France couldn't go on tour and they pick everybody else. So one of those tours that nobody cares Bonus. about. Um, <laughs> yeah, 75 points in two games lost against Australia. Uh, but I was chuffed. That was my first two caps. I was yeah, happy. 100%. You know, I, was, I was there. And then followed that, there was November tests and then obviously Six Nations. So that, that was my, my first thing. Never started a game, always on the bench. Uh, and so my first uh, experience of, of Six Nations is, is quite a funny one because it was Cock Park 2009 against Ireland. And again, I was chuffed to have started in, in the Six Nations. My dad, one of my dad's best mate, 
actually from my dad played rugby in uh, in HEC, which is a big business school in, in Paris, and and he had an Irish mate there that they they they, they played against uh, you know each other. They kept in contact That's ever cool. since. So basically, there my his son playing Ireland France. It was like a legendary time for him to go meet his mate, have a few drinks and stuff. You know, it's the perfect excuse. So they both came to the game, but we got pumped incredible stadium I, I love the atmosphere just so special you really felt i mean just you, you, look we're going to talk about bloody sunday and then you want to go play rugby you know that you're into something extraordinary we lost we got bollocked in the changing room but i was chuffed my dad was there his best mate was there <laughs> i saw jordy murphy uh we had a few beers after and stuff and i always wanted to be happy so that, that's my first experience so i really felt from the get-go of how special this competition is it's it's an extraordinary extraordinary uh, tournament to do where all the particularities of the french of the english of the brits whatever all those little wars we just adore them don't they we love to, to everybody pile against england because we all hate england we always but but everybody secretly wants to beat the french because you love you love us but you also hate us in the in the way that you sort of jealous our passion but you think that we're morons because we always drop at some point so you know it's it's, it's sort of all those spectacles that let's let's feed into those generalities let's feed into those cliches which makes it fun which makes it lively which makes it um not serious if you know what i mean this is it's happy times and i don't think i've ever seen an irishman refusing win lose draw whatever a pint with a frenchman after a game and vice versa and with the scots and everything so there's all that it's, it's rugby right the animosity before the game but then the game is about pleasure and everybody will hug each other and, and, and feel happy after and have a few beers. Special memories and the hairs standing up on the back of the neck for some of them. Um, I didn't think pyjamas were going to rank highly in the special memories. <laughs> <It's but> I, <laughs> the weirdest things that stick with you. And sadly, obviously, we know this Six Nations is going to be a bit different. There aren't going to be those those fans, those beers after the game that you mentioned, Benji. But where are you at with the tournament at the moment? We know there's a lot of investment coming in. CVC reportedly investing $365 million for 14.5% of the tournament. The age-old debate will come around, I'm sure, again later in the tournament about promotion and relegation. So where do you think we're at now with this exchange? Is it still as special as it's always been? And for one, you tell me what you think, Johnny, but at least it's happening. Until a week 100%. ago, we were, we were shaken, huh? <laughs> especially because of, of what the French sort of ministers came through. And I think they announced it yesterday that they approved the uh, and they validated the protocol that's been put in place so as much as we bashed on the Federation, thank you very much for doing such a good job because they were thorough about what they did. You know, they flew the boys, they tested the boys before, then they flew them to Nice. They tested them when they arrived. They put them in single rooms. They had to eat for a couple of days until the Wednesday on their own, whatever. Then they got retested. Then uh, projected to have private planes to go from Nice to wherever they need to go, Italy, England, and all that. And the hotel staff is being tested three times a week also. Every single press conference obviously is digital, it's all on Zoom and all that. So there's zero contact with the outside world. And on top of that, they reduced that 37-man squad to 31-man squad. Because yep. normally what would happen is that they used to have 42 uh, squads for the last six nations. Obviously, there has been a bit of a, a clusterfuck between the league and the federation, as we like to do. So they got down to 37 because Fabien Galtier needs a lot of numbers to do those high training, high intensity training during the week. But on the Thursday, the guys who weren't playing well, not all the guys, but some of the guys would be released to go back to the clubs. So and that's what Thibaut Giroud was saying the other day. Hallelujah, they didn't have any cases in the Autonations Cup, but they were scared shitless of getting nine guys, I think it was, to go back to the clubs on the Thursday, play against other teams and come back. And hallelujah, didn't have any positive tests. But I mean, imagine the stress, because obviously if the guys who come back 
are positive, your whole operation is shut down pretty much. So it was very, very complicated. So, and that's, uh, 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 um, they showed basically, uh, how do you say it? Uh, the goodwill or the, you know the, uh, is a good intention from the French squad to say listen we will be proactive we will give up on that we will keep our 30 man squads and we won't send anybody back it doesn't mean that if there's an injury we can't replace the guy obviously but the guy will be come in get tested and then he can integrate the bubble you know they will do it properly so that that protocol got validated by by the minister and that is fantastic news so at least it's happening and it's recent as well i don't think people appreciate how close to the bone or how close a shave it's been to the tournament actually yesterday not going ahead. exactly i don't <laughs> think people have fathom especially back in the uk people will not understand how close this was to not going ahead so but they were asking remember johnny they were asking the players how is it to train in nice when you don't know if the tournament is going to happen or not they were asking them are you training for nothing did you gather for nothing are you doing all this for nothing they were actually questioning it exactly so that for, from that perspective it's wonderful just that it's been given the green light and then also like ben you've just gone into it, but the, the logistics of what actually needs to happen the nuts and bolts of now a rugby team which we've never had before but what actually needs to go into protecting people protecting that bubble so the games can go ahead that's my only worry you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned about injuries or replacement players is now how super safe they're going to have to be. If somebody does have to slip out, somebody comes in, they have to go in, they're probably going to have to isolate for five, six, seven days before they can train with the team. That's going to be the problem. Because if somebody's got uh, an issue in La Rochelle, they bring it with them, you infect the whole team, France's tournament's over. It's the same with every country. England's going to be the exact same as how well you can slip people in if there are injuries. So fingers crossed there's not going to be injuries, but you just see the scale of the work that has to be done behind the scenes, logistics and operations level um, is mind-blowing. It's crazy. But now, I mean, again, Tim, I'm sure you're going to ask the question, but there's major guys that are missing out from this team due to injuries. Yeah. There's Kamisha who just pulled out. Yep. There's Verimi Vakatawa who, as soon as he's half decently fit, he will come back into the squad. And there's Romain Tamak. You're telling me they're not going to get them back? Of course they are. So where Johnny said, I think they might ask the boys if they can, the ideal situation, they ask them to self isolate before no. joining the the yeah <laughs> pretty no. much start now start now especially Kamisha because I know it's not a big injury so he won't be out for that long they will find a solution to adapt the protocol it's not a tight bubble and I'm telling you if if it's a matter of bringing those guys back all of a sudden somebody's going to get injured in the French team I'm telling you yeah. <laughs> if Kamisha is fit one of the hookers will or will you know surprisingly <laughs> have slept. a calf problem who will just get in a bit like Greg Aldrit who miss out on Six Nations but I can play with our shell on the Saturday you know one of those injuries something like that you mentioned Kamisha Fakatawa probably the biggest miss and um, is that the area where France's squad is maybe the lightest at centre I don't know, man. If you look at the games that Fiku's played for Stade Francais the past four weeks, I mean, he's been ridiculous. I mean, like, Vakata was clearly one of the best in the world, but Gail Fiku's not a second-rate replacement by any stretch of the imagination. Like, there's a guy that has been phenomenal for the past month. He's in form. He's maybe not got the pure physical qualities of Vakatawa, but, I mean, he's not a bad second place to have. And who, who partners Fiku? Is it, That's is the it thing, a Vassal? Basically, the, the starting so the, the starting guys will be will be outstanding. Okay, there's no like you said, Gary Fico is one of the most gifted uh, players that there is in this French team. Uh, uh, Arthur Vincent is obviously very very good. The only problem is depth. I was surprised they didn't pick Jonathan Danti, who did Same. really really well for the Nations Cup, especially finished on a super high note. Um, he was probably one of the only ones who actually performed against Italy. If you remember that the yep. second to last game, and he really performed against England. And they were saying that he's one of the biggest wants to miss out i reckon he's the one waiting and he might you know he is the type of guy that can jump in straight into a starting position if needed but there's also a, a possibility you know of 
of, of having a Carbonell on the bench who can then come in and then Jalibert can shift to 12 or even Carbonell potentially can play a little bit of 12. So there's, there's possibilities of making it work. Uh, however, I do believe that Vakatawa is not so much for depth, but just for the pure talent that he is, is, a, is the, the biggest... He's the X-factor player. Yeah, he's, he, he's just been absolutely electric for this French team. Look at all the big, big games. He always delivered something special. I remember... Um, uh, the big win in Millennium in the, in the March in Six Nations, he absolutely destroyed an defence, uh, was it Tompkins? Uh, in Scotland, remember that Auto Nations Cup game that was a little bit hit and miss, hit and miss? He delivered this brilliant uh, move off, off the scrum, you know, and then he, oh, he, just, he just creates stuff non-stop. What do you think it is that Fabian Galti prefers? Because Arthur Vincent obviously is playing a team that's going nowhere. He's not performing as an individual, but they've taken him on as a 12. Jonathan Dante, for me, like watching his get, he was amazing three weeks ago against Toulouse. Yeah. Um, the past two, three weeks, he's been on another level. What do you think that they see in Vincent that they don't get with Dante? Because for me, it'd be Dante every time. Well, to be honest, they said it from the start. So Arthur Vincent has always been a, a, a tiny bit of a surprise, no disrespect to him, originally, back in February 2020, because he was this very, very young kid that came through. And remember, Rafael Ibanez and Fabien Gelti were saying, listen, this is the perfect traje- trajectory. He's young. He was the under-20s captain that won the World Cup. Now he delivers in top 14. So they all he was almost the pick of the federation, if you know what I mean. They were okay, trying to show example. that the yeah, they were trying to show that this path fits perfectly. And to be honest, I was blown away by his performances. He's not Vakatawa in attack, he's not Gael Fiku in sort of creative genius, but bloody hell, he works hard. He, he's very, very committed. He's, he's got that dog, you know, that, 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 that dog instinct in him that he just fights and fights and fights nonstop. You're, you're absolutely right that his club is going nowhere, but I, don't, I haven't seen every single game of Montpellier, but I saw their game against, I can't remember if it was Toulouse or some, a couple of weeks ago, and he was the only one that actually fighting. He was the only one trying his absolute hardest, and he's captain of Montpellier, so he was taking a lot of responsibility. He was the only one showing a bit of grit, and Fabi, you know that, uh, that, that Fabien and, 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 and Rafi Bagnès, they, they put a lot of importance in that. And so I think they're trying to reward him, to protect him. It's going to be tough for him in the head. How, could, how the hell can you concentrate on Six Nations when your club is about to you know, fall over in, in, the, in, in, the, in the gutters? So he's obviously looking at it at this distance. But I really do think the starting partnership with, would be them too. Um, and, and there's some young stuff ahead. I mean, there's, some, there's the other Stade Francais centre, Del Buis, Who's, mm-hmm. who's, who just got called up last time, had never made it. He is a powerhouse. He's a proper, proper uh, athletic, very, very big center that, that can prove. But, but, but he's got zero experience. That's Clément Sachs from, from racing. But I really do think, in case of trouble, Dante will be shipped, isolated something, and let's use the big unit. And one man who you know well, Benji, who's back in the squad, um, he's played center before, but he's, um, he's in there as a winger, Damien Penault. Is he in with a shout of starting? And, and who's starting at fullback, Boutier or Dula? That's a, that's a really good point, actually. Of course, he can cover a second second uh, centre if needed. So you will still be struggling on your big, solid 12 and stuff. But Damien Penaud played his entire career at 13, and he's an extraordinary 13. Now they picked him at winger. And like, remember, we said we were talking about Gabin Villiers being picked and potentially the, the young um, winger from racing, Donovan Taifoufinua and all that. We were mm-hmm. saying, listen, chill, boys. There's Damien Penaud who's coming back. He is the number one, okay? He, he really is, for me, an f- absolute freak of nature. He's the French Johnny May who's got 
half a brain, but bloody hell, he's got legs. He can run, man. He he's can run gone. for days. <laughs> you wouldn't be picking Johnny May outside centre, I can tell you that. So he missed so, I, I know, <laughs> but you have to admit that Johnny May could pull it off, couldn't he? He's so yeah. fast and, and so talented. He could do a decent job. But I mean, Damien Puno is the one that, you know, the peripheric, he takes the M25 every time he wants to run around guys on the, on the pitch. And every time we're like, stop doing that. Imagine you get caught. You're on your own. You're going to lose the ball. Turn over. We can concede a try. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The week after, here we go. And every time <laughs> every there's something, and he starts going, he's the only player that I've seen go backwards to then do a 50-meter break. And he does it every single time because he backs himself. No, he is very, very good. So if he's your number one, Benji, who are you dropping? Are you dropping Teddy Thomas or Gabin Villiers? I, I'm dropping Teddy Thomas at the moment. Um, I think I think Gabin Villiers is showing, again, that grit that Fabien Galtier absolutely adores. Which Teddy Thomas has none of, let's be honest. Absolutely. But on, Teddy Thomas on, on his day, even compared to Damien Puno, is so fast, is so talented, such, such an incredible, is such a good finisher. Basically, that's what it is. Teddy Toma is not so much of a good player, but he's an incredible finisher. He's just, he, he, he can do things on the pitch that nobody else probably in the world almost can do. He is that quick, that incredibly, um, how do you say that, fast at, uh, on the step. You know, he, he's like Damian Puno. Every time they step, they seem to go faster. Whereas I would do one step, but I would <laughs> sink on the ground, you know, <laughs> and <laughs> dig a hole for myself. Whereas he gets even faster at every step that he does. He's got this, this, cat's way of you know he's like a, a cheetah or whatever he's got his those long limbs he's incredible but for me he's too much of a li liability in defense he's too inconsistent in his work rate and Damien Penaud to be fair does work hard and maybe for balance you don't want a Peno and a Teddy Toma in a Sean Edwards defense 100% well I just think you don't want a Teddy Toma at all in a Sean Edwards defense <laughs> I was going to say that ultimately people now see Teddy Toma for what he is and I think he's going to start to be targeted. Um, whereas up until now, defensively, he hasn't been really shown up. But I think through Champions Cup games, uh, people watching a bit more top 14, they see a bit more. Yes, they appreciate he's a wonderful athlete, but the kid doesn't defend at all. He tackles with his hands, if at all. So no, I think in a Sean Edwards D system, which is vastly improved and the work that Gabin Villiers does every week for Toulon, you get to an edge, you get to the deck, you know he's pinching the ball, he's turning over. Isn't he the winger with the most turnovers in for anyone? Him and Heem. So it's like a tandem, a two like Heem's obviously just left, but the pair of them, unbelievable to watch. Just anytime MD gets to an edge, it gets the deck in a, in a 50 meter channel, they're there causing havoc. Even, so Villiers through seven's background, obviously tremendous skill set, but great overball, but also it was two weeks ago against Stade Francais, he was counter-rucking, like he was bulldozing through three or four different boys and, and turnover in different ways. Like, And he worked Vakatawa in the end zone and got him to spill yes, the ball out. Exactly. So he's, he's got that dog spirit. He never yeah. lets go. He's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, he's not the most talented, maybe, but bloody hell, he's going to work hard. So I, I reckon you've got it, you... You've got it completely correct. Them two will start. And then your incumbent, so Boutier as your fullback, but in my fullback would be Bruce Doulan, who got his chance in the Autumn Nations Cup. I thought he was wonderful. But then also the way he's been performing for La Rochelle, I'm not sure if he's had a confidence boost, obviously coming back from injury this season. But for me, he's the first choice 15. Uh, I don't know what you think, Benji. I think you have to address the Montpellier problematic at the moment, clearly. Yeah. And if they pick Awas Ataited, Vilim Seazelok, um, you know, if they pick, um, what's his name? If they pick Arthur Vincent and then they pick Boutier, it will be complicated. I don't see how they can't pick Arthur Vincent. And so Boutier might actually lose his spot because there's another Montpellier guy already on the field, potentially William say also. That makes sense or not? 
Yeah. So, 100%. you know, so they, they're like, we can't put them all because otherwise we might just put the, the sort of, there could be a, a compounding effect of the, the impact of the, that um, bad mentality at the moment, their bad spirit, their bad buzz. And, and like exactly like you said, Brice Dulin not only played well, sorry, played very well against Italy and against England, but on top of that, he's kept on playing very, very well. And Boutier hasn't played fullback for the last six weeks, I think. He's played 10. Since André Pollard uh, has been injured, they've been trying things and they've struggled, poor thing. And he he does, I mean, he tries harder. Huh? He doesn't seem to be that um, that bad in his head, but but he's he's clearly he's got a lot on his mind. So I think he might lose his spot for that. And potentially he could be on the bench to cover a bit of everything. Tell you what, though, how much must they loved getting out of Montpellier camp and international camp? It must be like Montpellier must be horrible to be, horrible place to be right now. It must be so good to be in Nice, different people, different environment, different coaches, things that work. Happy camp. But yeah, I think you're right. I think Boutier is going to pay the price. He's going to be the maybe the one too many that Fabian isn't going to wait. In, in case yeah. there is any sort of negative feeling or being down or not being as up as they should be, he might be the one guy that, that pays. So you would say what Dulin at fullback, Penaud and Villiers uh, in, in the wing, Ficou, Arthur Vincent in the centre. That's what we've got so far. Yep. Mathieu Jalibert has to start at 10, right? I yep. don't think that's much of a question. Antoine Dupont might start as number nine, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and then we've got the forwards, right? And the forwards largely have picked themselves for quite a while. It's been very consistent in terms of selection. Little problem maybe in the back row at the moment. We mentioned before that maybe Jolange doesn't offer the right balance if he steps in so is Cameron Wocky getting a start for me yeah I think if you look at the way he's playing for Bordeaux especially um like his defensive line out work the amount of turnovers he makes <laughs> he's, he's a wonder kid they won they won in racing he stole the last two line outs consecutively yeah. bloody hell is he is he good so he's good at reading he's intelligent you can see he's intelligent where he sets himself to jump he's then athletic he's got huge re- like his levers are ridiculously long um, and so he adds something that the French team maybe doesn't have a defensive lineup. He also ripped apart the English lineup um, during the Autumn Nations Cup. So for me, he's a, he's a guy that adds a sort of extra dimension, but he's also a wonderful athlete. You know, good ball carrier, turns over ball, um, and has been really, really good under Christophe Burios. Yeah, so I think Anthony Jelanche is going to be unlucky and miss out, but he has been, again, in a cast team that hasn't been outstanding week in, week out. He's one of the few guys that's been leading from the front, an absolute grafter, workhorse, tackling hard, carrying hard, um, and gives something different. But Walkie, I think, adds a dimension that the, the French pack currently doesn't have, especially if you've got Villemse, who's a big lump in the second row. Um, Walkie adds something that is a little bit different. So we've picked the team for Fabian. That's that's good. We've, we've sorted that for him. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Gone any more changes? The, t- the tight five. We haven't done the tight five. What are you talking about? You only done. You oh. only missed out on the Wait. most in, in, in <laughs> important <laughs> people of the whole team. We're assuming it picks itself, Benji. But come on, give us give us it. Mate, we we've picked we've picked all the dancers, all the ballerinas over there. Now you're actually <laughs> going to start speaking about the real fellas. Julien Marchand will start at, at hooker. Blue set prop is Cyril Bay. Okay. Yeah, 100%. even though even though the other ones have been good and stuff, but I think he will start with him as as Lou said. Then unfortunately, uh, Antonio is injured. Demba Bemba is still injured. Uh, so tight head is between Aldegheri, Awas, and Colomb. Colomb being the giant uh, human of a racing, but still very young, inexperienced. So I think they will go with Awas because every single time that we think that they won't, they still do. So, so I think they will go for that unless they decide to pick Aldegheri because he is not as good off the bench as Mohamed Awas could potentially be. Um, and then second row, obviously, there's, I do think Villemse is not playing well at the moment. I think Bernard Leroux has got this special profile that you just can't miss out on. 
So I think it will be Bernard Leroux and Taufi Fenua. I have a feeling that Willem C will be dropped and he might not even play at all because on the bench, it's ideal to have a Gerasi or a Pesanti who can be impact players, who can be complementary. But they've done it a lot to have Taufi Fenua on the bench and Willem C to start. So he might be on the bench. But I, I would see Leroux and Tao to start in the second round. Interesting call. And now it's time for you to put your money where your mouth is. Are France winning it? But if, if you compare it to last Six Nations, um, it's obviously harder because you're going in Ireland and in England. With no fans, I'm sure it, everything's tamed. But it's still, a, 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 it's still a tough trip to make. And on top of that, now France are serious challengers. They're not underdogs anymore. That's it. That's gone. So they will be prepared. Ireland, for instance, will be prepared for the full French side. You know, and they will actually take this game super, super seriously. So the, the, you can't say that the last six nations for the French team were disappointing. But if at the 78th minute of the first game against England, Antoine Dupont doesn't lose his shit, it doesn't kick out when he thinks it's, the game's over, but there's actually two minutes left, England end up having a penalty, just getting that defensive bonus point, which cost them the freaking tournament. So I'm just afraid that something like that can happen because between, I don't see a grand slam for anyone. I see France winning it. I, I dream of a Grand Slam, but I just think it's it's very, very complicated considering the piling amount of injuries and considering uh, the fact that you need to go and Dublin and and to go and to go to Twickenham in particular. Obviously, all the other games will still be very, very hard, but I don't see anyone doing a Grand Slam. And I just hope France will, will learn from their mistakes and I see them winning it, but not with a Grand Slam, basically. Mate, I honestly don't see Ireland being the way they have been for the past 10 years. I think that, I've said this before, but I think that the Irish and Welsh cohort have overachieved and overstretched. You didn't mention Scotland there, mate. <laughs> but they haven't overstretched, mate. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, they've had Joe Schmidt, one of the best technicians. You work with him, Benji, you know him very well. One of the best technicians, one of the best coaches for a decade. Wales have had Warren Gatland. Like, based on their performances with Farrell and Pivac coming in, they aren't the same proposition, I don't think. I think for France, they could go to Ireland and be comfortable. Um, that's how much I see the change in, in regime, in performance levels, in how far Ireland have slipped, in my estimations, and, and, and watching the way they've played, um, and how far France have come. Not comfortable, but before you'd be like, geez, this could be a pumping for France. But now I'm confident for them going over there. For me in general, I think that the whole tournament will come down to the fourth round and England against France. Um by that time, we'll have seen the teams feel each other out. Um, Eddie Jones will be back in the coaching room. Um, he won't be in isolation. Um, England will be a proper proposition. But I feel it comes down to that. I think there could be a Grand Slam, potentially. And I think that that game four is the pivot. Absolutely. It's who takes that could be a winner. A winner takes all for me. So we can infer from that, Johnny, that you're not particularly confident ahead of the Calcutta Cup this weekend. <laughs> it's going to be a Grand Slam for France. Um, <laughs> look... I back France. I'd like. I'd got my my. Um, so strangely, I'd I'd written down my rankings um, on where I thought everyone's going to finish. So I think that this weekend, Scotland haven't won at Twickenham right since 1983. Yeah, that is ridiculous. And the last team that won there, my dad was playing. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> and you don't remember it. You've told us exactly. But every time I went down, he'd rem he'd remind me. Um, <laughs> But it was something that I always, every time I, want, I went down there and played, I wanted to be part of the team that made history. I just feel that with no fans, even though they have superior firepower, much more player power, um, bigger player base, bigger numbers, it's always the case. Scotland against England, you're playing against your big, ugly brother that's a little bit larger down south. It has to happen sometime. 
I just feel they haven't had Eddie Jones. They haven't had a coaching team. There's no fans at the stadium. Finn Russell's back. He's fit. He's a legend, as is Hoggy. I'm like, it's going to have to click into place at some point. Um, and I know there, there's so many false dawns for Scottish supporters, but it happens every year. My hopes are up again. I think... You're talking yourself into it here, Johnny. You're, I'm, yeah. I've done it again every year. <laughs> I'm going out there. I'm going to say this year for the first year, Scotland are going to be England at Twickenham since 1983. And in my rankings, I had France to do a clean sweep. I had France and I had Scotland or England to finish second. I honestly believe, genuinely, my gut from watching Ireland and Wales is that they're not the same level of proposition. They're not as well organised. They don't seem coherent together on the ball and attack. A little bit lost at some points as well, whereas I feel Scotland, as much as firepower might be a little bit less, at least they're organised. They know what they're trying to do. They've got the same coach. They've worked with them for three, four years. Um, and when they fire, they can really, really fire. So I had France to win the championship, whether it's a Grand Slam or not, I think it'll come down to game four. Um, and I had France with Scotland or England interchanging for two and three. Then I had Ireland, Wales and Italy last. Over to you, Benji. Oh, mate, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think France will win it. I think. You agree England... that Scotland are going to win at Twi- Twickenham this weekend? <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind, mate. What are you talking about? We always, like, we, always like, we always like the underdog. We always like um, a good positive rugby. Scotland have been performing well, to be honest. Um, they obviously, they des- like you mentioned, they desperately need their superstars, their game breakers. They need Finn Russell and, and, and Hogg and, and Johnny Gray and all those guys. They're desperate. Without them, they're not, clearly not the same team. If they're there, they're fit and they're raring to go. I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, listen, they, they beat uh, Wales comfortably. They, they could have beaten uh, France in, in a tighter game than it was. In the last year, they're the only team who's beaten France apart, uh, other than England in the last Alternations Cup. So, of course, they, they, they're, they're delivering some good performances. Um, I still struggle to see them being ahead of, of England, but why not? Let's say, listen, in, in the matter of, of supporting my mate, I'll say... <laughs> I'll say France number one, Scotland number two, England number three, Ireland, Wales and Italy. And you've both put Italy bottom. Obviously, it comes around every year. Uh, are they going to win again? They've, they've got three home games, haven't they? France, Ireland and Wales. Uh, but if they don't win a game, are we going to have this conversation again? What should be done? I think it would have been a lot easier if we'd had a Georgia-Italy in the Autumn Nations Cup. I think that was a game that people would have liked to have seen and it would have settled this debate. But... Look, Italy are a big frustration, as have Scotland been for for a decade, but Italy for the past three years have actually stuck together decent performances for 50, 60 minutes. They then just crumbled um, in the last 20, 30. So, look, I think they're going the right direction. I don't think we're going to swap them for Georgia anytime soon. I I can't see it happening. So so no is the the honest answer. I don't know if you think Benji any different, but for me, it's a no for now. I don't see them winning a, a home game unless they manage to pull one off against Wales, maybe. But um, unfortunately, listen, the, the results don't speak highly for, um, for, for Italy. I was actually surprised to see the move of Paul Gustard to uh, Benetton Trevis. Uh, and he was saying that he saw a clear vision, but I'm still struggling to see shine on the international stage. Uh, the best example is that second to last Autumn Nations game against France, where France had rotated. Italy had pretty much a full side and they offered nothing. But I mean, they offered one fantastic try from, uh, what's his name, Minozzi. I think Mm -hmm. he plays for Wasp. was a fantastic ball carrier. And he's not there. But other than that, I was just... Just a little bit disappointed. So you say, you say Minozzi's not there. Is he injured? He's chosen to stay with Wasps. Aye, aye, aye. Well, that's, 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 the te- terrible decision, not decision, but terrible news for them. Your first initial question, Tim, is where's the Six Nations heading? 
And clearly the relegation, the impact of private equity putting money in Six Nations, something's going to change. Um, the, the Six Nations, as we know it and as we love it, I think will evolve. To be honest, there's a big risk. There's a major risk of losing the identity and the sacred, sacred part of Six Nations that we all love. But there's also a, a, a matter of, of losing the game in its all, the professional game in its all, if we don't change things, if we don't look out for a different solution, if we don't try to evolve a tiny bit, short a bit of modernism, open up to other countries and try to reach out. Because at the moment, we're quite narrow-minded into our fantastic old memories, which is great, which we love. But unfortunately, we will need to change. I think Six Nations, where it's two games, one week off, one game, one week off, two games, will have at some point to be shortened to five consecutive or five or six, you know, five games plus maybe a friendly or something, whatever, just a period of clear vision for players, for fans, for broadcasters, for whatever, to be able to do it. Potentially, why not even move it a month? I don't think people really care to play in February or to play in April, Six Nations. I don't think people attach to that. So things will change. Um, Italy might, unfortunately, have to re... Oh, Italy, sorry, it's mean to say it like that, but teams might have to earn their spot into Six Nations. So at the moment, it would be Italy. Um, but I think we need to be open to that, to that change. We need to, to embrace it and assess in a few years if, if unfortunately, we've, we've, we've stepped on, on, on some of those, uh, you know, uh, values that we love so much and memories that we cherish so much. But let, let's face it, the federations are on their knees at the moment, right? They, they couldn't say no to the CVC deal. Nobody could say no to any of those deals where, where you finally actually getting some money in and with somebody who's backing us to say, listen, we will create something extraordinary. So I think big changes ahead. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. 
Before we finish off, we should get your predictions on round one's games. So Italy, France, give us a scoreline. Uh, Italy, France, uh, 25-12 for France. Oof, I've gone 40 points to 12. Big win. Yeah, it's, it's the f- first game, mate. We've got, we've got to pace ourselves. <laughs> uh, England, Scotland, coming to you first, Johnny. Come on. I'm going to go 26-22 for Scotland for the first time in 100 years. Um, yeah, so I'll do it differently, Johnny. I, I'm not going to say that Scotland will beat England, but I still say reckon they'll finish second of Six Nations. <laughs> hang on, because France will beat England, so we'll do the job for you. And then it's up to just us to Scotland to concentrate on their own game. So I would see a, a, a 26-25 win for England. Last minute on the money. And Wales Ireland. I'm going Wales 15, Ireland 21. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I like it. Uh, just for the sake of it, put um, 20, 20, not 21, 20 to 15 to Ireland. Broadly agreeing there. I like it. A bit of consensus. So um, just Scotland, England, where Johnny's, Johnny's heart's ruled his head, I think. <laughs> we will see. We will oh, see. We'll... Come on. It has, to, it has to be a blip in this copybook once eventually. It has to happen eventually. So I'm going to keep backing us until it does happen. It's going to happen, Tim. We will see. Can't wait for those. Um, and briefly before we go, top 14. Let's, um, let's have a little chat about that. Um, Breathe. Where's this run of form come from? They're up to ninth. I think six wins in the last seven games. Did any of us see this coming? I'm chuffed that you're talking about Breve because, um, to be honest, I, I was asked a couple of times for a radio in France, like I think when Lyon went to play in Breve, ah, listen, they can't they can't handle Lyon. It's impossible. They smoked them. Uh, can Toulon be, beat them or can Breve handle Toulon? I was like, even Toulon without Carbonel and Serin, they're too big. There was Etzebeth, Alunouissé. They smoked them. And they smoked them on heart, passion and, and commitment. They're very positive in the way that they address things. They never put their head down. They still concede meters and sometimes penalties, but they just never give up. I think they beat Paul in Paul almost last minute, uh, two weeks ago, which caused major upset. They're on absolute fire, only down to their heart, their heart, and their heart. And they've got a captain. I don't know if you guys know him well, but Saeed Iresh, who's a, 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 who's, a, who's a back row that I was fortunate to see come through the ranks of Stade Francais because he's from Paris originally. And, and I try to help as much. He's an absolutely lovely guy who comes from a proper tough place in Paris, who only did it through his, his, his heart and his commitment to rugby. Went to second division in Aurillac, got, you know, did his trade there to learn gradually of what it is to be a tough, tough back row um, and then got to breathe. And he's leading them by example. They are all extraordinary, very positive, very respectful. Um, and he was telling the story that during the first lockdown, he reckons he puts down their success, their current success to two things. The fact that the fans are never letting them go. So Brevo, are the only ones who will have, fans will gather socially distanced in front of the, of the stadium with like, you know, m- m- bands of music and sometimes fireworks or whatever, just to pump them to say that they're not forgetting about them before the games. Uh, and at the same time, he said he, he links it also to during the lockdown period, they trained like animals on their own whether they always had like Zoom things, whatever. They said they had some sort of plan of saying, let's test us as soon as we finish the lockdown period and see how we were. They had some guys that not only did not drop their fitness levels, but were actually better than before. So they connected super, super hard to say, listen, we can't afford to sleep even a tiny bit. Otherwise we're in second division for sure. So they did not slip at all. And I thought that's, you know, when you work hard for something, you get the rewards. I think it's pretty cool. So fair play to them. And clearly buckets of heart and, and commitment, but a bit of um, Fijian flair on top of that as well, Johnny? 
<laughs> a little bit, but they have a tradition with like they have a tradition of finding exciting wonder kids from Fiji. Like they just churn them out. Um and that's it. They, look, they've been good to watch as well. It's not like you think breed, you generally think stuffy, um, aggressive, hard to go, but they've coupled that with actually they play, they play some decent rugby. Jeremy Davidson's got them doing some decent stuff. They've got a few lads that can finish uh, cleanly and efficiently. You couple it as well, Benji. Look, we know they have a lesser budget, but historically they, they have fought no matter when you've been there 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they're battlers. Coupled again with a little bit of luck, another red card for Toulon on 55 minutes, which sort of tipped things again in, in the right direction. But this is what top 14 is all about. It's all about can you get up, can you scrap coming from Pro Do, claw your way and stay in this league? Because it's an amazing league to be part of. Um, and Breve are doing it. And Claremont, Benji, it was close, obviously, but um, lost four of the last five at home now. That would never have happened in your day, would it? No way in the world, <laughs> mate. Come on. You can dream about winning, uh, Scotland winning in Twickenham, but you can't even dream of winning in, in Claremont when I was there, bud. Okay. <laughs> Um, no, in all seriousness, a uh, very, very disappointing defeat. Um, it's funny how because of all those delayed games, postponed games and all that, you see teams almost playing back-to-back. So yeah. it was only two or three weeks ago that Clermont went to draw in Bordeaux. And now Bordeaux came to, to, to Clermont the last weekend, rotated side of Bordeaux without Jalibert. Um, with missing out uh, Rémi Lamrin, missing out, I can't remember, they had a couple of injuries like that. So I really thought, and Clermont, the other way around, Vamaina was back. Yato was able to play six. Um, Sebastian Bézi starting nine and ten. You know, they were really finally starting to get a little bit of depth. J.P. Barak was back. Damien Penaud, George Moala. And in the forwards, getting, you know, Rabas Limani backed with Ojovan, whatever. I was just feeling more depth, more quality. Uh, uh, Alex Fischer, you know, the, the small little seven who's a cannonball yeah. dude. He's also he was also back and stuff with Concorier, Fritz Lee, Yato at the back row. So finally had some mixture. They played a really good game, but they completely crumbled by having the possession 30 minutes, 30 seconds before the end of the game, being ahead, lost the ball, and then conceded a good try at 88th minute from a rotated Bordeaux side who really believed and backed themselves until the end and thoroughly deserve it. So very disappointing for 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 Clermont because um, I really thought they were they were getting something back. Man, they're a proper team, and the thing as well, you said like rotation. But if you look through that Bordeaux team that played, like you've got Tamunafuna, Menadier, the captain Marius second row, Cyril Cazo, who's been in the French team. Like that's a proper type five. Rumat calling your lineup, Higginbotham, an Australian international. You said they didn't have their ten, but they had Ben Botica. Like Ben Botica. Yes, you're replacing France's. Um, first choice 10 for the for the Six Nations but you know Ben Botica is, is top operator the guy was top 14 player of the year he set up a couple of tries by himself I just think again what a team like come the end of the year Bordeaux under Urios now building nicely bubbling away constructing something pretty cool um, and loads of questions to be asked can they go on and win it this year after they sort of led for the entirety of last season they look like they could be anyone and again the home and away wins that we've seen this year We've never seen before the amount of teams winning away from home. So it's more competitive. It's more interesting to watch. The one question I want to ask you, Benji, you know, it's about your mate, but Cami Lopez, in terms of a guy who is amazing going forward in front football, one of the best, how good is he at digging his team out when it's tricky, when it's hard work, when it's graft, when a, a pack's on the back foot? Would you say that's a sort of weaker point to his game? And obviously we had Jamie Noon saying last week, oh no, there's Echoes of maybe Sexton coming in to lead something and do something different in Clermont. Would he be a guy that might be pushed? Because from from the outside, that's what I see is a guy who going forward, absolutely wonderful. Crossfield kick, 
good hands. But in terms of digging his team out and, and driving, you know, exit strategies, does he have less quality in that area is the question I want to ask? So it's a good question. I, I, I don't believe that he's the problem when, when the pack is going forward. The, the problem when the pack is going forward is that the pack is going, uh, sorry, backwards is that the pack is going backwards. You know what I mean? He's only basically shoveling the shit of what's given to him. And to be honest, you can never um, take away the partnership of Camille Lopez with Morgan Parra, ever. And we haven't even spoke about it again a lot on this show, but remember that Sebastian Bézier, right, from Toulouse, the number nine, mm-hmm. as the new whole thing. So that competition between para Bézier, para Bézier has been very complicated. And I think what you just said is spot on for the partnership Bézier-Camille Lopez. When the, the ball is going forward, they are absolutely extraordinary. But, but, but Morgan Parra does know how to handle those situations. At the weekend, he could have handled it better, yes, because he was on the bench and he came on, but they didn't. So I just believe that it's if Jonathan Sexton comes to Clermont, he would be an extraordinary addition, obviously, to help Clermont, but to help Camille Lopez individually. I think he, he would only learn from the best. That would be fantastic. Um, I don't think the problem for, the, again, the back, his bad decision-making due to backwards or to Un, unpowerful or undominated uh, forward pack. The problem is that the forward pack has been dominated for a while. We mentioned some line-out calls that were poor. We mentioned some driving malls that they just couldn't, couldn't handle and couldn't defend well enough. And especially we mentioned some some important moments where you have to let your pack take on you know the bulls by the horn, deliver the big the big scores when you need. We are the type of team that needs to you know enlighten fear in somebody's do not give them a penalty in their own half, otherwise they'll kick it out. And something's going to happen. They're going to be unstoppable. At the moment, unfortunately, they're not unstoppable. So they scored two tries. I think Fritz Lee scored two tries on driving moles, but they couldn't. They had six or seven opportunities. So if you're really as good as that, you put every single one of them, and then we won't speak about your number ten. So I agree with you that he can learn. I think you can't dis- the, disconnect him from his his number nine, and I think that's clearly what what highlighted the loss against Bordeaux is that they need to learn again to deal with the bad situations. And the forwards take ownership of them. And we mentioned the Johnny Sexton to Clermont rumor again. There, um, more rumors in the top fourteen is Louis Picamol off to Bordeaux, and apparently Teddy Thomas. We mentioned him earlier in his defence, not having his contract renewed at Racing. So is he off to Toulouse or anywhere else? You've heard the fact that he's not even renewed in Racing is pretty unreal, to be honest. That's a big statement. Yeah, it's a huge statement. Just to say, not even we're in negotiation. We are not renewing you. That's rare. I think it might, it might be down to, uh, you know, we said the agents playing up and trying to stir some stuff or maybe they stirred a little bit too much in the clubs that listen. You, you try to push us to say that Montpellier, Toulouse will offer X amount, whatever. We're not we're not talking to him now. So we become all announced in Bordeaux, yes, but I also heard that um, you've got the confirmation that Zach Mercer from Bath signed in Montpellier. You guys called it, what, good six weeks ago or something? Come back to Teddy Thomas. I was going to say, right, so Rassing have said, we are not re-signing you. We've just discussed, he is an absolute luxury as a winger because he doesn't tackle and he doesn't kick chase and he doesn't compete for high balls, but he finishes. So you've got probably a really, really high basic salary. You've got a guy that likely is going to be with French teams and not be part of your top 14 squads as often as you like. So Hugh Benji is going to say, we need a Gif guy a Gif winger that's talented, but we're going to lose quite a lot of the time. We're going to pay over the odd wages to get him to come here. Who's going to have him? And never forget that it's Teddy Thomas. So Teddy Thomas will not sign in Clermont. Teddy Thomas will not sign in Brive. He will um, base his decision on lifestyle also. So I've got Bordeaux, Toulouse, La Rochelle, Toulon. I, I think Montpellier will, will be desperate to sign him because Philippe Saint-André, 
is is desperate to get a few more gifs and they will have the financial power to do it. It's always sort of the same thing. You never know if Stade Francais want to, want to steal one of their uh, their. Do you think he'd flick over? Oh yeah, mate. Wants to stay yeah. in Paris. Just to stay in Paris, he would do it. And to be honest, he would silly not to. There's not so much of that rivalry. So just look at the big checkbox. So Stade Francais, Bordeaux potentially. You don't know. Like you said, he's from Biarritz, so Bordeaux and Biarritz are only an hour and a half away. But they don't seem to have that much cash uh, left. Um, and and Montpellier, I think that that would be that would be your not not far from the reality. Or sorry, or or Toulouse if they want to replace straight. Yohan is retiring in a year. So they will have a budget already there. And to say, however good, is completely different players. But however he's lacking, whatever he's lacking in defense, he's still very young. So you think he can basically push him, get his mental... I don't think he can change him, but... No, maybe they, <laughs> me either. Maybe and what do you reckon of Picamor going to Bordeaux? I think that's a great move, personally. Yeah, mate, I, th- I, think, he would, I, th- I think he would get along really well with Christophe Urios, who likes who's, who's a ballsy guy. I, I still can't understand this whole thing of... Did you see a couple of weeks ago? They they, they were taken up away from the squad. Yeah, like they were preparing a really important game at the weekend, and I heard that there's like six or seven guys who were taken away. I was like, hang on, are, are they not picked for the game? No, 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 they were prevented from training the whole game. They were the whole week. They were put aside from the playing squad for the whole week. So that must be, there must have been a clash. There must have been something wrong with that game. And one of them was Louis Picamol. And I know for a fact, because I know him, that Lulu Picamol is a good dude. He's great to have in change room. Whether his performances are good or bad, that's different. Yeah, but, but nobody's performances have been good. Exactly. And he, he's he's important in, in one of those troubled situations, a troubled moment to actually be, you know, to be the solid dude to to sort of link everybody back together. So if he's leaving, it's very disappointing for, for Montpellier. I think Bordeaux can be a fantastic fit for him. If he went back to Toulouse again, that means in his career, he would have done Montpellier, Toulouse, Montpellier Toulouse, that's a bit much. Um, <laughs> you start, you know, to be cross-eyed a bit of, of what, he, what he's done. So I think I think Bordeaux would be a great shot. I just find it weird as well in that they were split apart from the group, but then brought back in the following week to play against Racing. It makes no sense. Like I don't know, management. There's obviously something strange going on. But for me, I think for him, it's a move that look, he would have been paid very well. It's his home club. He, he grew up in Montpellier. It's his, his club that formed him. It should have been a dream move and it hasn't worked out. And I just think as well, like for me, he's King Louis. Like I regard him as the, the best eight that I played against in Six Nations. So destructive, amazing at what he did, horrible to play against. And I just think it's a real, if he was going to finish after that Montpellier contract, it'd be a real shame. I'd be delighted for him if he gets something decent, if he can find a decent team and finish on a high note, because I, I think on his day, he's one of the best eights um, that we've ever seen in Europe. We will see where Louis Picamol and Teddy Toma ends up and we will see how your predictions go in the Six Nations this weekend. Can't wait for those games coming up. So um, come on Scotland eh, Johnny? Mate, <laughs> yes, please. I'm crossing everything now. Scotland to win. <laughs> yeah, it's sadly less and less sure by the minute. But anyway, we will see. We will see. <laughs> thanks, Johnny. Thanks, Benji. And thanks to all of you guys for listening. Uh, make sure you hit subscribe, leave us a nice review and we will be back with another episode after Scotland's victory next week. Cheers, guys. Cheers, fellas. Cheers. 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.